You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Amen. Great to sing. Amen. Uh, let's give the Brittos another uh, thank you for that. Really appreciate uh, their vulnerability. Uh, I know I was in tears. I don't know if you were, but... Uh, you know, just thinking about who God is and how He loves us and uh, just what we continue to learn as we grow. And um, anyway, it's awesome to have them a part of the ministry here and um, awesome to be together. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we are. Uh, this is the second week in a series we started last week on Easter called Jesus 2016. We're kind of playing a little bit with the election se- uh, season and all that. It's something new every day with this uh, Elections, uh, I don't know if you guys follow it, but it's kind of interesting to watch it all happen. Uh, But uh, last week we talked about uh, Jesus, uh, the the, the title of the lesson was about, uh, I don't even remember what the title was, Uh, Campaign Promises, yeah. I was thinking about what it was about, but it was how Jesus enters our world and he fulfills God's promise uh, and then he ignites our hearts as we get into his word. And uh, so today we're following that up with uh, the title of the lesson is Cabinet Choices. Uh, We actually switched it up a little. It was supposed to be Why He Gets My Vote. But uh, Steve uh, Marici is preaching that one and he needed to go to Long Beach uh, to help out there because Ruben and Marina had their baby, which was really exciting uh, if you hadn't seen that. And uh, Dustin and Catherine had their baby this week as well if you didn't see that on Facebook. So it's awesome to see uh, new little little people added to the kingdom of God. Um, but so this idea of cabinet choices, you know, um, uh, usually a, when a guy's running for president, he surrounds himself with, with certain people, certain advisors, people that are kind of loyal to his campaign. And sometimes you notice when one of those people defects and goes to another camp or uh, when one of those people gets kicked out by the politician. And uh, there was stuff in the news this last week because one of Trump's guys is as being, uh, he's, in, he's, he's being uh, for battery. He's being charged with battery because of grabbing a girl's arm or something. It's always something going on. Uh, but anyway, Trump was saying, no, I stand by him. And, you know, it's, his, it's my guy and I'm loyal to him and he's loyal to me. And, uh, but so anyway, politicians have these people that they, they stand by and that are loyal to them. And a lot of times those people become cabinet members as uh, when, once they get into office, they become parts of these different departments or even heads of these different departments. There's all these different cabinets that the, uh, the president is in charge of taking care of. There's the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Commerce, Defense, Education, Energy, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Housing and Urban Development. There's all of these things, you know, uh, transportation, uh, Veterans Affairs, Treasury, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So who are the people that the, the president brings with them? A lot of times are the ones they put in those offices. So we're going to be talking today about who did Jesus choose? Who did Jesus want to spend time with? Who did Jesus pick to kind of be in his camp to hang out with? And uh, can you imagine if, if you heard Jesus was coming to your town, how you would feel like, oh, I got to get in line. I got to be able to see him. And then can you imagine if he came to your town and he went to your house if he sought you out by name, you know, I, when I get to that town, I want to make sure I spend time with this person. You know, when I come uh, to P- Palos Verdes, I got to make sure I spend time with Mark Steberg. You know, what would that feel like to have Jesus want to spend time with you? What would you have to, what kind of person would you have to be in order for Jesus to want to spend time with you like that? You know, I don't know what you think about 
uh, when I think about that, like, okay, who would I need to be for Jesus to want to spend time with me? I think about, okay, I'd have to be really good. I would have to be perfect. You know, I would have to be, I would have to have my A game on as far as spirituality. Uh, I would have to, you know, know all the books of the Bible memorized. You might be feeling like, man, yeah, I don't have those, those minor prophets get tough. I can't remember which ones. And, and you know, some of those little ones I haven't even read. Oh, no. He wouldn't want to spend time with me if I hadn't read the whole Bible many times through. Uh, you know, I think, oh, man, I would have to be a, a super fruitful person. I would have to be very effective, like, like a great uh, campaigner for him. You know, like bringing lots of people to the church. I would have to have lots of impact. Uh, you know, there's some among us who are super fruitful. And, uh, you know, sometimes you look at them and go, man, I, I wish I could help more people become Christians. I, that's who he would want to spend time with is kind of the best sales associates that we have. You know, uh, when I my old uh, I, I used to work in sales at, at one of my old jobs and um, many years ago. But we did sales on the phone. And I remember uh, this one time the CEO of the company decided he was going to spend time down on the sales floor. You know, he was going to spend time with some of the sales associates. And there was about 100, 150 of us at that time. And so he spent time with some of the sales associates. But who did he pick to, to hang out with? The very top sales associates. You know, those were the ones, the guys who were at the very top of the numbers. That's who he hung out with and listened in on the phone as they were making sales calls. Uh, I was not one of those. I was kind of in the middle. So I didn't get chosen. But, you know, you kind of think, okay, who would Jesus choose? And so we're going to look at a story about a guy that Jesus personally sought out to spend time with. We're going to be looking in Luke 19. If you go ahead and turn there, we'll talk about who does Jesus seek? Who does Jesus choose? Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Luke 19. God, thank you for your revealed word. Thank you that Luke wrote down this gospel and uh, spent a lot of time talking to different eyewitnesses and uh, made it available to us that uh, any, any one of us can have access to your scriptures uh, on our phones and on our computers and uh, even in paper Bibles. God, thank you for your amazing word. And I pray that you'd speak to us through your word right now. I pray that uh, I wouldn't get in the way of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to convey to each person here today. Uh, thank you that we could gather together to worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Luke 19, this is uh, kind of towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, his final days uh, in Jerusalem, and he's about to go through Jericho. Jericho, um, you might remember from the old story, the Jericho walls falling down. It was kind of the first city that the, the, the Hebrews came into as they were coming in to, to come into the promised land. And so he's coming through Jericho. It's a big trade city. It's an important city because you cross the Jordan River and then you come into Jericho. So he gets to Jericho, uh, in verse 1 of, of Luke 19, says he was uh, entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Some of us might be able to relate to that. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times the amounts. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All right, so I said, as I mentioned, Jericho is a famous city. Uh, it was a big city for taxation. And here we hear that uh, this guy Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. So the, here's a city that's known for its taxes because it's kind of on your way into Palestine. And he's the chief tax collector. Tax collectors, if you don't know the history, so God's people, the Jews, were conquered by uh, the Romans. And so the Romans had control of, you know, the vast these vast areas. We, we probably have heard the stories about the Roman Empire and all the lands that they conquered. And what they would do when they would conquer a people is they would let them still kind of have their own government. They would have, have their own religion. They would let them kind of continue life as normal, but they would tax them and they would rule them. And so they were occupied people at this time, the, the Jews. So Rome is the occupying power. And what the tax collectors, who they were, is they were Jews. They were uh, part of that community, but they worked for the Romans. And they would collect taxes and give those to the Romans. So the Romans didn't collect taxes themselves. They had Jews do it for them. And so, and there was many, many types of taxes. There was uh, a tax just, that uh, a poll tax, which means just because you exist, you get taxed. Because you're, we polled and you're there and you get a tax. There was a, a tax for, for the ground, like everything that comes from the ground, if you're, if you're uh, your livestock or your, uh, your, your agriculture. There was income tax and there were various other duties. Uh, so a tax collector could stop you on the road if you had a mule and a, and a, and a pack and, and tax you for each thing. Okay, the mule, you have to pay this much, you have to pay this much for this bag and this bag and this bag. And, 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 and you had to just pay it. And if you didn't have the money, then he would loan you the money uh, with exorbitant interest. So then you end up even in more trouble. So think about for a minute, how would you feel about that dude, you know, in your community? When you see him coming, what would be your feeling? I don't know how you feel when you see the, 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 parking, the parking person coming, you know. What do you feel? You know, uh, we, we, they instit- after living in our street for about 11 years, they instituted street sweep. And we've, gotten, we've only gotten one ticket in a couple years, so I'm pretty happy about that. But, you know, you got to move every you know, Monday. It's on this side. Tuesday, it's on this side. And, that, and you see that parking guy coming. It's like, ah, run to the car. But, you know, we don't have warm and fuzzy feelings about that parking guy. I once had to pay a $480 ticket for, in San Diego for going through a red light. Uh, I was in a van full of people. And we were trying to hurry. Because someone had to get somewhere. <laughs> And, and, and we're going, it's yellow light. Everybody's like, go, 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 go. As we go through the light, all these lights. $480 because of a camera. I don't have warm and fuzzy feelings about those camera people. Uh, you know, if I could get the, I, I researched, I tried to figure out how to fight them, and I finally gave up and surrendered. But anyways, how would you feel about the tax collector? Uh, when when uh, William Barclay says that tax collectors were grouped together with robbers and murderers, it's like the robbers, the murderers, and the tax collectors. That's who this guy was. And not only was he a tax collector, he was good at his job. He was the chief tax collector. Uh, he became very successful in a corrupt system. It says he was wealthy. So this guy is a despicable character. And yet, 
Jesus, why, why would Jesus seek him out? Why would Jesus look for this guy? We have three points today. Number one, Jesus chooses seekers. Jesus chooses seekers. So it says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was a short guy, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree uh, to see him. You know, this is not, I don't know when the last time you climbed a tree was. I used to climb trees a lot as a kid. At this point, I'm 45 years old. It's been quite a while since I climbed a tree. And, and you know, this would be a fairly uh, embarrassing thing to do. You know, in the middle, there's this huge crowd, and this middle-aged man, you know, is trying to get up on top of a tree. Sycamore fig trees, it said they were not, I, I did a little research, they were not that hard to climb. They had a big trunk, and then these really big branches that branched out pretty, pretty low. So, you know, he, he's, but still, I mean, this is a pretty humiliating thing to be climbing a tree as a middle-aged man in front of everybody else. I mean, picture the CEO of your company climbing a tree. You know, it's, it's, it's not, a, it, it's not a, a picture you, you know, wow, look at that guy. He's awesome, you know. <laughs> but, but why did he do it? Because he was a seeker. He was willing to be, look stupid. He was willing to be a fool. And so many of us, we're, we're so caught up in, you know, how we look and, and, and our image and how people view us. And I remember so much pressure, especially in the teen ministry, there's so, in the teen days. And so I know the teen ministry faces this. Just the pressure and everything about how you look and how you dress and what kind of music you listen to. And all of that. There's so much pressure. And yet there's this verse in 1 Corinthians. It says, let no one deceive themselves. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. What does that mean? It means sometimes you got to swallow your pride in order to really become wise. Sometimes you got to be willing to be humbled in order to learn what God wants to teach you. In fact, almost always. Uh, you know, the Bible says in three different places, Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, and 1 Peter 5.5, 5, all say God, what about the proud? Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, I prefer grace over opposition from God. And, and so if we're prideful, the, the Bible promises God will oppose you, but if you're humble, God will give you grace. And so you see that in, in Zacchaeus, that he was willing to humble out. He was willing to, he was so desperate that he didn't care what people thought. Uh, you know, he, he, you don't get the picture that he really is concerned about his, his uh, image at this point. Already, already everybody hates him. So it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't even care. I'm just going to climb this tree because I want to see Jesus. And we all need Jesus equally, whether we realize it or not. And he recognizes when we take steps towards him, when we humble ourselves and we're willing to be a seeker. And he promises that if we seek, we will find. I love this promise of Luke 11. I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For those who ask, receive, those who seek will find, the door will be opened to anyone who knocks. What an incredible promise. God is saying, if you seek him, if you humble yourself, like Zacchaeus did, that you will find him. That's a phenomenal promise that so few are able to capture because so few are not willing to let go of their pride. Pride is the biggest thing that keeps people from Jesus. And, and the, the amazing thing is Jesus doesn't seek people who achieve perfection on their own. Okay, I'm going to be perfect so Jesus will want to hang out with me. Jesus seeks people who are seeking him, who realize I have no hope of being perfect. I need you, Jesus. 
And those are the type of people, the people who are asking, who are seeking, who are knocking. I just find that so encouraging because I so do not have it all figured out. I do not know how to parent teenagers. I do not know how to be a great husband. I do not know how uh, to parent, uh, you know, each stage. It's like, I don't know how to parent this stage. I don't know how to parent this stage. I need help, Lord. I need help, Jesus. I don't know how to overcome my sin. I don't know how to shepherd a church. I certainly don't know how to get to heaven. I need God. And and so that's encouraging to me that, okay, if I'm desperate, that's the kind of person God's going to help. Isn't that encouraging? We can't lose except for our own pride and arrogance. And so Jesus chooses seekers. Number two, Jesus chooses seeking sinners. So not only does he choose those that seek, he chooses those who are sinners. What does this mean? Well, it says there that when Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This is amazing. Jesus knows his name. I mean, picture Zacchaeus up there in the tree. Maybe he's hoping nobody will notice him. You know, there's a crowd. There's Jesus coming through. He's walking along. He sees him coming, you know, just sees him in the distance. Then he sees him coming in the crowd. He's like, oh, I can't actually see him. This is awesome. I like this little spot in the tree. And then Jesus is walking and and Zacchaeus is thinking he's coming closer. He's coming closer. He's coming closer. He's coming closer. Then Jesus walks right up to the tree and then says, Zacchaeus. Come down. I'm coming to your house right now. I mean, what was Zacchaeus thinking? How did Jesus even know his name? I would imagine it's because Zacchaeus was notorious, you know. And he, he's just known as the, he's the town bully. In, in my elementary school, this was Mike Jones. Everybody knew Mike Jones's name. He was the bully. He destroyed, he destroyed several parts of my property. He once, he once hit me. He once hit me with a rock and gave me a black eye, and I, I told the authorities something else happened to me because I was so afraid of him. It's Mike Jones, the legendary Mike Jones. You know, I forgive him. I forgive him. Actually, he got payback because what happened, he was one of those kids that matures quick, so he was bigger than everybody else, and then, so he matures quick, and then everybody else passes him. So in high school, it's like, ooh, Mike Jones. <laughs> He got away. He got payback. But but it's like it's like Jesus says, I'm here to hang out with you, Mike Jones. You know, what were the people thinking? The whole crowd of people. And the fact is that he knows you by name and he knows your sin and he knows your very worst. He knows, you know, everything about you. Your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets uh, and, and, and Zacchaeus knew he was no good. I mean, his sin's right out there in front of everybody else. But it says he came down and welcomed him gladly. You know, he still, he was like, okay, wow, okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's come over to my house. Uh, and I love that Jesus didn't care what people were saying. It says that all the people saw this, verse 7, and began to mutter. He's gone. He's the of a sinner. I love that Jesus didn't care a bit what people were saying, you know, and he's going right into the guy's home. Uh, he was being willing to associate with him. And this wasn't the first time. There's a very similar story earlier in Luke, the same uh, gospel. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to throw it on the screen here real quick. I think. I lost it. It's, uh, it's Luke 5, if you can get it up there. 
Oh, there we go. Luke 5. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So I imagine, you know, Levi's one of his apostles, so Levi's probably right there with Jesus when they go to Zacchaeus' house. And maybe Levi was sharing with Zacchaeus, they were, you know, talking shop talk and what it means to be a tax collector as a disciple, or, you know, like, it's just kind of cool to imagine that picture of, uh, you know, Levi gets converted and then they, they go and they reach out to Zacchaeus together. But Jesus says, I am here for sinners. Look at that verse right there at the bottom. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you've got it all together, if you have it figured out, if you're doing, you know, if you've reached perfection, then this church is absolutely not for you. <laughs> you know, this, this is a place for people who have messed up and they know it. Uh, you know, that's who Jesus, and still mess up, yeah. That's who Jesus was here for. And so, you know, in some ways, Zach was better off because his sin is right out there in front of everybody. So it's, it's like he, there's no way he's not owning up to his sin. And yet I think a lot of times we can be more like those other people. Kind of, oh, my gosh, look at that. You know, finding people who are worse than us and kind of justifying ourselves by looking down our noses at them. That's what these other people were doing. In one sense, Jesus, Zach was spiritually better off because his sin was right there in front of everybody. Because we don't like to own our sin. You know, even from an early age, we don't want to fess up when we blow it. I mean, those of us who are parents, we know this with our kids. From the earliest ages, they do not want to take responsibility. Uh, Jameson said it was okay to share this story. So this is not recent. Uh, Jameson, when he was little, we, Cora was going to be born. So we were going to get a bunk bed. And so Marshall was going to move from this little toddler bed to a bunk bed bottom and then Jameson was going to be on the bunk bed top so we put the bunk bed together Jameson's like four or five years old and uh, you know how the bunk beds have all those slats those wooden slats at the top so we hadn't bought the the mattresses yet so we put the bunk bed together but the mattress is not on there and we tell Jameson do not climb on there yet it's not safe do not climb on the bunk bed once we get the mattress you can climb in there do not climb on the top bunk and so you know we, we go away he's in his room and then he, he he starts crying. We hear him crying. We go to the room and he's crying. And, and he has these marks on his legs right here, all red, right here and here. And, uh, you know, we're like, oh, Jameson, what happened? And they were matching red <laughs> marks. And, uh, and so he, he's like, oh, I, I fell this way. <laughs> and then I got up and then I fell this way. And we're like, hmm, is that what happened? Yeah. You didn't climb in the bunk bed? No, I fell this way. So then we, we, we put him up on the bunk bed, and, and it was like forensic files. You know, we, we put his, hand, his, his leg through the slits, and then perfect match, you know, both sides. <laughs> so James said he still remembers that, you know, being exposed in the line. And uh, yeah, I told him, and, and see, that was a great thing what we did, because that's the last time you ever lied. He was like, maybe. <laughs> um, 
But, but the reality is, you know, none of us want to be exposed. None of us want to be shown for who we really are spiritually. And yet Jesus knows who we really are. And so it should comfort you that he is here for the sinners. He is not here for the righteous. He is here for those who realize they have no hope on their own. And they've got to have God to help them. Uh, I am a sinner. I am just as much a sinner as Zacchaeus was. Whether I, you know maybe look that way to others or not, I, it, before God, I am just as sinful as the worst tax collector. And so are you. <laughs> and if you get to heaven, it will not be because of any good deeds that you've done. It will be because of the grace of God. It won't be because of any people I've baptized. It won't be because of any lessons I've preached or any songs I've written. It'll be because of God's grace on a sinner like me. And so the, the main thing is being willing to admit that you need help. Your way out is being willing to admit. If you keep trying, trying to fight through on your own, you're never going to make it. But if you go, okay, I give up. I, I need help. That's, that's where your hope lies. Uh, we did an exercise, uh, like a team building exercise with some ministers one time. Uh, we were up in the mountains and, you know, you, we had these young guys that were our sort of tour guides and they were doing these different exercises. And so we did this one thing where they blindfolded all of us. There's probably about 20 ministers they blindfolded all of us. We put our hands on the shoulders of somebody in front of us, and they said, we're going to lead you uh, into the forest, into this maze. So they lead us into this maze. They said, from this point on, there's absolutely no talking. And so we get, get into this area, and, and they put our hands on a rope. And they say, okay, you're in a rope maze. And your job is to find your way out of the rope maze. You can't go over the rope. You can't go under the rope. You can't untie the rope. Just follow the rope along until you get to the end of, you know, until you find a way out of the maze. They said there's absolutely no talking, and there is a way out. And if you need help, just raise your hand, and someone will come and help you. And so, you know, you you start going through, and you're, you know, trying to find your way. You know, you're not going to cheat and lift your blindfold because they're watching. So you just kind of (laughs) keep going along. And, you know, you kind of bump into another guy and, and he, you know, he's like, it's not that way. And they're like, no talking. Oh, okay. You know, so, so, you know, you're kind of fumbling your way around. And um, I know for me, you know, after a while, it's like, I'm like, am I not doing this right? So I just raised my hand. And they kept saying, you know, they would say, okay, one person has found their way out. Okay, three people have found their way out. You know, so by the time they get to like four or five people, I'm like, I raise my hand. And then the guy comes over to Goes, he goes, do you need help? And he, lifts, he lifts my blindfold and then just leads, leads me out, leads me out. So the way out was asking for help. And, and uh, so it was funny because then you're, then you're over on the side and they're like, okay, eight people have found their way out. You know, and, and, and these guys are still, and, and the most prideful are the ones that stay the longest. You know what I mean? Because they're like, and, and they just, you see it on their face. They're blindfolded. And, and the more you hear who's gotten out, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I gotta find my way out. There was two people left at the end for a long time. Uh, I won't tell you who, but it, it, was, it was so funny. But it, but it's it's true. It's 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 similar spiritually. Like we try to stubbornly try to find our way out of these mazes sometimes, and God is just watching, just waiting for us to raise our hand and go, "Okay, God, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing." I don't know how to get out of this maze. Please help me. That's who God answers. That's who God seeks. That's who, God, that's who Jesus wants to spend time with, are the, the seeking sinners. 
And so that's, that's the kind of church that we want to be. And, and so I think it's important, this is a side note, but as we're reaching out to people and as we're trying to be ambassadors for Christ, we need to have the same heart that he did. You know, think about your work or think about your school or think about your community. Who would Jesus spend time with? Who are the outsiders? And do we write people off? Oh, that guy smokes. He could never become a Christian. Oh, that person, they, they're always talking about pornography. They could never become a Christian. Oh, that, that, that girl, she, you know, she's a party animal. There's no way. Isn't that who Jesus seeks? Isn't that who some of you were? And so we've got to, we got, somehow we become Christians, and then sometimes we, we, we forget. We forget who we were. Jesus is looking for seeking sinners. Our last point, Jesus is seeking, seek, <laughs> Jesus chooses seeking sinners who surrender. I want you to try to remember this. Seeking sinners who surrender. Seeking sinners who surrender. You know, Zacchaeus, verse 8, he says, he stood up and said to the Lord, oh, sorry, I keep exiting it. I think I pushed the wrong button. Can you get me back there, Sherman? I, I need help. <laughs> okay, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What a picture of repentance, of letting go. You know, this stuff had controlled him. His money, that was his whole identity was his money. And it, it, it was absolutely who he was, money and cheating people. This was his way of life. And he just gives it all up. He surrenders. And Jesus identifies this with salvation coming to this house. And Zach goes even farther than the law required. Actually, uh, for those of you who are Bible students, uh, you know, in the, in the law, the Jewish law, if you, you, if you had cheated someone or stolen from them and you made a voluntary confession, the law was you've got to pay it back plus a fifth. Like if you come forward and say, I'm sorry, I cheated you. Here's what and you pay it back plus a fifth. If uh, it was ordinary robbery, then you paid double. And the, the references are there on the screen. If it was a deliberate, violent act of destruction, then you pay back four times. And that's what Zacchaeus says. I'm going to pay back four times whoever I've cheated. He kind of goes above and beyond. It's like I'm going all in. There's just this attitude in his heart of just surrender that you see. And you see that with repentance. That's repentance. Repentance is a total change of, of your mindset, a total change of worldview. Uh, and this is a theme throughout Jesus' ministry and throughout all these stories in Luke of, of giving it all up. We just read about Levi. It says he left, the tax, he left everything and followed Jesus. This is idea of, okay, I'm surrendering completely. And uh, I want to just show you a few more verses from the book of Luke, just kind of going back through. Uh, you, you, you can just look on the screen if you'd like. So backing up to Luke 5, this is when uh, the guys first follow him, the fishermen first follow him. And uh, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Right? We talked about being a seeking sinner. And, and Peter was aware of his sin when he really came in contact with Jesus. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. And followed him. They left everything and followed him. Again, it's another picture of surrender. I'm not going to hold on to my old life. Everything that they'd done up to this point revolved around fishing. And yet they leave their nets. 
Uh, another, another account says they leave their father in the boat and the, and the father's hired hand, and they're going, okay, we're off, we're off to follow Jesus. This is this idea of, of leaving it all behind. In Luke 9, Jesus says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, be my student, be, be a Christian, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus calls us to the same commitment he had. He's like, I'm going all the way. I'm completely surrendered. Going to the cross, if you want to follow me, you've got to be right behind me on the way to the cross with me. Totally surrendered to God's plan. That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. Oh, well, I need to be as committed as Jesus was. But, I, but, but what he says is, if you, what good is it if you gain the whole world? Everybody's out there trying to gain the world. I got to get more money. I got to get more stuff. I got to get more vacation time. I got to get a better career. I I need more and more and more. And yet, does it really satisfy them? Does it really fulfill them? And and Jesus says, even if you gain the whole world, if it becomes planet Brian Craig, and you're the emperor of all all the universe, you know, of all planet Earth, like those villains and you know that try to conquer the planets. You know, even if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your soul, what good is that? And so giving up and in surrender, that's where we find our soul. He says when you give up, that's when you find your life. And so there's this this strange paradox that through surrender is our salvation. And through giving up and and surrendering to God. There's a similar story in Luke 14. He says if you're going to war against another king, you have this army and he has an army twice as big and you absolutely know you're going to lose, what do you do? You, You say, okay, can we surrender to you? Just don't kill us. We can just be on your team now. And so you ask for terms of peace. You surrender to them. In verse 33, it says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. You cannot be a follower of Jesus unless you surrender. Again, he's not talking about perfection. He's not saying, you know, you have to be a perfect person. We, we talked about that. It's, it's, it's a matter of our hearts. It's a matter of commitment. It's a matter of going, okay, I give up. I surrender to you, and, and it's all yours now, Jesus. Just you direct, and you lead, and you, you are Lord of my life now. Again, you will not get to heaven because of what you've accomplished. You've got to give up control. It's his power. It's his leadership. It's his uh, leading in your life. Unconditional surrender. Are you sensing a pattern? All these stories, is okay, give up, give up, give up, give up. And again, Jesus Jesus is not trying to take something from us. He's trying to give something to us that that only comes through surrender. Uh, Last story here, and I want to contrast this with with, uh, the story we just read in Luke 18. This is one chapter before the story of Zacchaeus. And a lot of us are familiar with this story, but uh, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not give, commit adultery. You shall not murder, not steal, not give false testimony on your father and mother. These are the Ten Commandments he's talking about. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. This is a little overwhelming, this idea. In order to, it's harder, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to be saved. In other words, it's impossible. And yet we just read about a rich man being saved. We just read about Zacchaeus. The very next story, the very next chapter in, in Luke is Zacchaeus. What was different? It was all about his heart, wasn't it? There's a real difference between the two hearts. You and I are rich. You know, by worldly standards, we're all rich. And so it's hard for us to make it. But he says, it's possible with God. You cannot do it yourself, but it is possible with God. The only possibility is surrender. You know, this idea of a seeking sinner who surrenders. Was the rich young man seeking? He was, you know, in a sense. But you almost get the feeling that he was trying to kind of get uh, some accolades for what he was already doing, right? Because he's like, oh, yeah, I've been doing all that. He's, he's kind of wanting Jesus' seal of approval. And so he's sort of seeking, but, but on his terms. Like, I, I want to find out what Jesus has to say, but if I don't like it, I'm going to stick with my plan. That's how a lot of people are. I, I like Jesus. He's great. I, I mean, I want to go spend time with him, but I still kind of keep it in my, the, my way of doing it. And so, you know, he was sort of seeking. Was he a sinner? Well, he certainly didn't see himself that way, right? Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm doing everything I need to do. You know, he, his view of himself was, yeah, I've got it all together. Did he surrender? Well, that's really where we see the difference. And he went away sad, it says, because he had great wealth. He went away sad. There's going to be a lot of people that when they are confronted with Jesus, go away sad. And it's, it's not worth it. You know, we don't even know his name. We know Zacchaeus' name, the notorious Zacchaeus. But this guy who in the eyes of the world was a really good guy. I mean, for him to be able to say, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. Boy, what was his reputation in his community? Man, that's the guy. I want my kids to be like him. Zacchaeus, he's, oh man, he's the notorious one. But who's the one that found the kingdom of God? Zacchaeus. Why? Because of his surrender, relinquishing control to God. Being willing to trust, being willing to, to give it up, give up control. I had to give up control this week of my computer because uh, someone had, uh, somehow they hacked my Earthlink address and sent thousands of emails all over the world. You know, those little, I hope none of you got them from me. If you did, you know, like if you got something that says awesome and that's a link, that's not for me. I know I get those from people sometimes. I'm like, I'm not clicking on that. And so I, I, I call, you know, I, I called this, this service and, and I looked it all up and it seemed legit and, and I already had the software that was protecting me. So I was trying to make sure I had uh, better antivirus software. So I get on the phone with somebody, uh, you know, and, and she's like, okay, I, I, I'm like, they said that to, the thing said to call this number to be able to upgrade this. And she, she said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to take control of your computer. And so I'm like, oh, somebody take control of my computer. I don't really like that. You know, she's talking with a Russian accent, you know, I don't know, you know, like, what's she going to do? What's she going to find? And she, she had to kind of talk, but she's like, it's okay, sir, you know, and uh, you will be able to see everything that I'm doing. And, you know, uh, but I had to make this decision to trust, to relinquish control, you know, and go, okay, you can take over my computer and just kind of watching her move stuff around. But, but that's really what we have to do. We kind of, God is waiting for us to go, okay, okay, God, okay, you know, let go and then watch him work. And that's, if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, or if you've tried to take back control, I'm telling you, you can trust him. And you must trust him in order for uh, you to be all that he wants you to be. Uh, you know, this decision to, to, to trust, again, it's not that he's trying to take something from us. He wants to give us something 
of greater value. And anything that we give up, he says, you can't outgive God. Right? You can't outgive God. Peter's reaction to this in Luke 18, we've left everything to follow you, Lord. Like, we're going to make it, right? And, and what does Jesus say? He says, truly I say to you, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You cannot outgive God. Those decisions we make that are tough and are scary, He always will come through for us, either in this life or the life to come. But, but, but it's not a trade-off of, oh, I have and God just wants to take. It's, I have and God wants to give us way, way more. But we have to make that decision to relinquish control and trust Him. And, and know that he's going to come through. Um, you know, we had an awesome baptism on Thursday night. Uh, Justin Monteclaro got baptized, which was really awesome. I think he's there. There he is. And uh, I think I'd forgotten or I didn't know the story that, you know, when, when Edlin was pregnant with him, uh, everyone was saying that she needed to have an abortion. The, 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 the uh, medical establishment was saying she needed to have an abortion because she had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and they wanted to start the chemotherapy right away. So they said, okay, you need to have an abortion so we can do the chemotherapy so we can take care of your health. And so she faced a choice. That was a difficult spot to be. And yet she said, no, I, I want to trust God. I'm going to just, I, I'm going to have this baby. And, and then she was, she was saved from breast cancer, and now here is Justin Monteclaro getting baptized into Christ, saying, Jesus is Lord. I mean, is that not way better? That's, that's who God is. That, that's how God is. That's who Jesus is. Uh, just closing with, with Jesus' last words there in the story of Zacchaeus. He says, I've come here to seek and save the lost. Come to seek and save the lost. That word lost, when, in, in the book of Luke, when it talks about being lost, it's not talking about damnation in, in the moment. It's talking about being in the wrong place being lost is being in the wrong place. Don't you hate it when something is lost and it's in the wrong place and you can't find it? Uh, I, I, I remember being in Long Beach uh, and I couldn't find my car. And in Long Beach, there's these underground garages that are all connected. There's this one spot where there's like, like multiple hotels and a convention center and all the garages are like this network. And my, my car was lost for about an hour. And I could not find my car. And I had no cell reception because I'm down in a garage and I'm just like lost in this garage. Actually, you know, it wasn't the car that was lost. It was me that was lost. Uh, the car never moved. But, but that's a frustrating place to be. And many of us, in fact, all of us at some point in our life, we end up in the wrong place. And Jesus is here to, to bring you back to the right place. But in order for him to do that, you've got to be seeking You've got to recognize that you are a sinner and you've got to surrender. We already are all sinners, so really all you've got to do is be a seeker and surrender. Sinning, I think we all have down. So are you in the wrong place this morning? I really encourage you to, to surrender to God and, and to be willing to, to, to fess up, to be willing to, to relinquish control and let Him lead you. We're going to sing a song here to close out uh, before Rick Dabney comes and leads us in our weekly offering. By the way, that's just for the, the, it's not for the guests, it's for the members, our weekly offering. But we're going to sing an old, old hymn called All to Jesus, I Surrender. And I, pr I pray that as we sing this song that you would really mean these words as you sing them to Jesus and uh, that you would relinquish control to him.
Uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll sing the song. God, thank you uh, to be able to uh, worship you today. Thank you to be able to learn from your word today. I pray that uh, you would help every heart here to make some decision today, some decision to uh, give up control, to uh, be able to, to see your will for our lives and be able to be blessed by you. And thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you that you're always there for us. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect to be chosen by you, but we just have to seek you and surrender to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.